Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Here you go. Here you go. Fifteen. That's the word of the day for nothing personal. Why 15? Yes, we're going to talk some hockey right now. The New York Islanders have gotten a point in 15 straight games. 14-0-1. And no, there's no Mike Bossy or Pat LaFontaine. There's not even a Brian Trottier. There's not even a Pot Van Sucks cheer anywhere to be found. What there is, though, is a winning streak the likes of which this franchise has never, ever had. And the timing could not be more perfecter-er-er. They're building a stadium for the Islanders, you see. And it was stopped and then started and then stopped. All the dream when you own a team is to try to have a winning season going into your new stadium. It rarely works. I've tried it, and it's hard. However, if the Islanders can be successful and win, and their coach, as you know, has won everywhere he's been, If he can continue this and the Islanders make a run deep into April, May, maybe June, we're talking playoffs, Islanders, 15 is your word of the day. Your homework is to make sure you watch part of an Islanders game as they go for number 16 to try to extend a record that I find hard to believe never happened under the old regime. The Orlando Dreamers. If you're just waking up today or not paying attention, you missed one of the funniest announcements I've seen in years. Pat Williams stood up today. You remember Pat Williams. He's the executive. He's a great guy. I've known him for two decades. Very charitable, interesting man. He's the one who really did bring the magic to Orlando. Well, he's decided that now for his next chapter, he wants to bring baseball to Orlando. Not minor league baseball like the Braves who played there at Disney World. We're talking major league baseball. Well, Orlando is in the I-4 corridor. It's close to Tampa. Do you think he means that he wants the Tampa Rays? He said no. There's eight years left of the Tropicana Dome lease, he said. That's where the Rays play now. Do you want the Miami Marlins? He said no. How could he have the Miami Marlins? They have a new ballpark. They've got new ownership. They're in the middle of a 38-year lease, so he doesn't mean the Miami Marlins. Does he mean the Montreal Expos? Nope, didn't mean them either. Turns out what he wants is some sort of expansion team or another relocation candidate. It certainly can't be the Oakland A's, so he couldn't have meant any relocation at all. So Pat Williams stood up like P.T. Barnum announcing that the circus is coming to town, and gave you an entire logo and a website for an MLB team that's not even a kernel of a remote possibility to even provide a speck of leverage for anyone else around the country. Back in the day when I was trying to get a ballpark in Miami, I loved when mayors or businessmen of other communities would stand up and say they're ready for a team. It happened in San Antonio, it happened in Vegas, it happened in Portland, and Business leaders stood up and said, we want Major League Baseball. That was music to my leverage-filled ears. 
What Pat Williams was doing today was merely a publicity stunt. The name of his team is obviously not going to be the Orlando Dreamers. That's what he's calling it, saying that that's how they did the magic, Orlando magic. It was Disney's magic. Well, now they're trying to use some of Disney's tourist taxes to explain how they can fund a new ballpark, number one, and how they can get a Major League Baseball team to play full-time in Orlando. Here's the problem. The reason why baseball in Florida is not working as well as Commissioner Bud Selig thought it would when he first decided to expand into Florida is that it turns out the demographics in Florida are not what they seem. All of the big numbers that allow for larger TV deals, let's say, and for all of the, let's say, wealthy Cubans in Miami or all the Hispanics who live down in Miami or in Tampa, during the summer, they're not there. Who wants to be in Miami during the summer other than me, who loves to be here in this studio all summer long every day in Fort Lauderdale? We had a very hard time selling season tickets, even when we were winning, because the corporations, all the big wigs, they go north for the summer. People come south for the winter. Baseball is not played in the winter. That's an issue that happens down here with Florida baseball. So when you hear that there's 6 million cable subscribers and there's 12 million people in this big city, all of whom are going to buy boxes and seats and season tickets, you realize, of course, that none of them are going to do it. And that's what's happened because Tampa, they win games and don't draw people, but they can still blame the location of their stadium because they have an old stadium. We used to blame for the Marlins the location of our stadium until we got a new one. And now we can't blame that, so we had to start blaming losing. Then we had to blame us, so we sold, and now we're blaming someone else. But eventually you have to realize that it's possible these cities may not be good enough for Major League Baseball. So why is it that Orlando could be? His view is that the tourists go to Disney World all year long. Three million tourists every single weekend. Have you ever been to Disney World? Do you think the people at Disney World who are going from Space Mountain to get two extra boxes of popcorn, six ice creams, and seven hamburgers are then going to turn around and take their four-wheel stroller and go to a baseball game at the end of a day when they've been schlepping around their kids for a full day of fun in the sun and in the park? Not a chance. So the same tourist that he's counting, Pat Williams, he's double counting. And that's not going to fly in Major League Baseball or with any of the public entities in Orlando. Because to get baseball, you're going to have to get public funding for a ballpark and you're going to have to cut a TV deal. Who's going to give them a TV deal? The same group who now has a deal with the Tampa Rays, who the Miami Marlins are trying to get a new deal with when their deal expires at the end of next season? Well, there's only so many ways you can skin a cat and first in, first out, meaning that the teams who have deals have the money already. So putting a team in Orlando will not add that sort of sort of extra revenue, shall we say. So I say to Pat Williams, it really is a very good try. I love the logo for the Orlando Dreamers, but the only dream is that you actually think that this chapter is going to work. You've been a hugely successful executive, a hugely successful person, but there will not be Major League Baseball in Orlando in my lifetime or yours. Oi, Philippe Vasquez, how's it going to get worse for the Pittsburgh Pirates? So you own a Major League Baseball team or any professional team, and you have two things that you worry about all night long and why you don't sleep. 
The first thing you worry about is your players and whether or not, not that they're healthy to play, but that they are healthy not to do anything to hurt or embarrass your brand or your city or your team. The second thing you worry about is are they healthy enough to play on the field? And once they are, will people come watch them? Those are the two big things that I would think about all day and all night. I've gotten five or six calls during my career, very early morning calls, the last of which was an absolute nightmare, which we've spoken about on this show, which was September of 2016 with Jose Fernandez. The majority of calls were DUIs or players who were getting arrested for various things that uh, I'm not going to talk about right now on this show, but I will talk about them later if you tweet me at David P. Sampson. But what I am going to tell you is Felipe Vasquez did something that I never had to deal with, and he got caught, and he has been charged, and yesterday there were extra charges put on him, 21 felony counts related to sexual assault of a minor. I never had to deal with that issue when I was president of the Marlins, and the question I was asking myself is, what would my tolerance be for that? Would I release the player? Would I immediately suspend the player? Would I trade the player? What's the line? What's the limit? The local football team here in Miami, the Miami Dolphins, dealt with it. Mark Walton got arrested for allegedly punching his pregnant girlfriend. And he immediately got released by the Dolphins. And he just got $10,000 bail set today. How do teams decide who they're going to release or who they're going to ask the lead to suspend? I'd like to tell you it has nothing to do with talent on the field, but I'd be lying. And on this show, I promised I would tell you exactly how it works. The first thing we ask ourselves is, is the crime that the player's being accused of so horrific that no matter the talent level, it doesn't make a difference as to what we're gonna do? DUI doesn't come under that. Sexual assault of a minor does. Domestic abuse, it depends. I'd like to tell you domestic abuse is a guarantee because in my mind it is. If you're accused of domestic violence, you should be immediately released. I don't want you representing my team or my city. But what about being innocent until proven guilty? Why don't we give the players that benefit of a doubt that our justice system will automatically give to these players? And the reason is that I have a brand to protect. I can't wait around to see whether there's a truth or a falsehood, whether there's been an, an accuser or an accused where there is no actual crime or story. I don't have that luxury. When it's not a star player, I don't need that luxury. When it is a star player, I do, and I did, and so do other teams. Now, they're going to tell you right now that they don't pay attention to the level of player. They only pay attention to the level of crime or scandal. But I've been around owners for 18 years, and we've talked about these very issues. And we're not playing. It's not a game of fantasy. We're talking real-world situations where we get together and we talk about how do we deal with this. There's no perfect answer. If you think about the fact that if I immediately rush to judgment on, on a player, is that fair to the player? What is that saying to my fan base when I'm not willing to let the justice system run its course? Now, in PR, we're told what we have to say to the fans, and it's what we always say to you, but we decode on this show better. But what we always say is we'll have no further comment at this time as we let the justice system run its course. But the truth is we're not letting the justice system run its course, and the reason we're not commenting is we're embarrassed to tell you why. 
And the reason is that we want to make sure that what we're doing, whatever decision we make, will have the smallest impact on the revenue for our team, on attendance, on corporate sponsors. We'll meet with corporate sponsors to discuss a situation with a player and talk about what we're going to do. We'll talk to individual stakeholders and tell them what we're thinking because we're trying to run a business. Now, when that line's crossed, it's one of those examples that when you cross the line, you don't know where it is, but you just feel it when you've crossed it. You sort of sense it. That's how I tried to run my team. I tried to sense that line. I didn't get it right every time. By definition, if you don't define a line, you won't know sometimes when you've crossed it. And I've been victim of that many times in my career, and I don't regret that. But I wanted to let you know what the pirates are going through what the Dolphins are going through, and what almost every one of your favorite teams has gone through when one of your favorite players does something that he or she should not have done. When an executive does something that he or she is not supposed to do, that's an easy one. Anytime anyone in the front office would do anything, see you later, an immediate firing. But what Jeff David did, an executive for the Sacramento Kings, is something I had not seen in my career However, I know exactly how he did it, why he did it, and then why he got caught. So let's catch you up. Jeff David was an up-and-coming executive working as sort of the chief revenue officer for the Sacramento Kings. That's just a very funny code word for meaning he was responsible for sales. We call it revenue. We come up with all these fancy titles. You know, um, Chaim Bloom is the new CBO, chief baseball officer, we always are coming up with different things. CFO is chief financial officer. COO is chief operating officer. So CRO is chief revenue officer. It used to be you're just a sales guy or just a VP or a manager, but now they have new titles, new ways to pay you less but make you feel better about the title you have. You know what I'm talking about. It happens in your company too. Which do you want, a title or money? Here's a hint, take the money every single time. Who cares about title? So Jeff David is the chief revenue officer, and he's responsible to cut corporate deals in Sacramento. Now, Sacramento is building a new arena. Do you remember that whole big arena fight when the Sacramento Kings were going to be relocated? And then Kevin Johnson, they saved the day. That's the former NBA player for the Phoenix Suns. The day got saved, the arena got approved, and the arena was being built. So they needed someone to come in and start making money for the team to pay for said arena. So what Jeff David did is he would cut deals with companies and he would tell the companies that the deal was, let's say, $2 million a year. And then he'd tell the Sacramento Kings the deal was $1.5 million per year. Then he'd tell the company to wire $1.5 million to Sacramento and a half a million to another company that he controlled, which he then used to buy fancy houses to fix up those fancy houses and then... I can't say he allegedly did this because he's in prison. I'm not bearing the lead right now. I'm telling you how the story ends because it's not a spoiler alert. He broke the law. He stole from his team and he's now in prison. So in any case, one and a half million dollars goes to the Kings. Half a million dollars goes into his pocket. He reinvests the half a million dollars into starter homes that he's going to fix up and sell or any such stuff that he decided to do. His family had no idea and the Sacramento Kings had no idea. That's where the story loses me for a minute. When I was the president of the team, I had a chief salesperson. I don't think I called him CSP. 
or CRO, I think I just called them, please make sales and help us raise revenue. And here's your commission. But I know every deal that he did because I signed off on every deal. I knew every payment that was coming and I matched every payment to the terms of the contract. I was in touch with the other companies and their decision makers, not the salespeople cutting the deals for the other companies, but the heads of the other companies. Someone in a position to know when there's $2 million going out the door where it's going. There is absolute culpability with the ownership and the president of the Sacramento Kings in this case. It is inexcusable for them to run a team where they are unaware of the bifurcated nature of certain of these deals. That's a big word, bifurcated. It just means that it's a two-part deal. I'm sending part A here and part B here. Part B just happened to be in the pocket of one of the employees. Now, some of you watching and downloading are saying to yourselves, wait a minute, I worked for the Marlins and I did something that got me fired and you didn't know about it. Well, that's true, you did. And I know who you are and I know what you're talking about. And we've talked about it on the show, actually, when it comes to tickets and what it is to get tickets that are free and then sell them or what it is to try to get some commission on the side for sales that you're doing. But eventually we found you because of something called compliance. Jeff David, are you watching? Do they get CBS Sports HQ where you are? I hope so, because that'll give you something to do 24 hours a day, seven days a week. In the meantime, all I can tell you is you won't be able to do that again. And to the Sacramento Kings, you've got to increase and improve your compliance because there is no excuse that you were built out of $13 million. I would have lost my job as team president if I had lost track of $100,000. Forget $13 million. Well, we start each day with a uh, Twitter segment of the day, and this is part of the show now. If you DM me at David P. Sampson, give me a story idea. Tell me something you want to hear, and I'm going to do it each day. We will put it on the show. And so we have a really and actually a very good one today. Someone wanted me to talk about the Browns and the Sheldon Richardson comment and wanted me to get all worked up about Sheldon Richardson and how he could possibly defend Garrett. Garrett, who, by the way, right now is having his appeal heard in New York. Well, I'm not worked up about Sheldon Richardson at all. As a matter of fact, Sheldon Richardson is not wrong. What we're showing now is a video which shows that Rudolph clearly trying to take the helmet off Garrett and having it not work, and then Garrett ripping the helmet off. Hard stop. I'm not saying what Garrett did right now is correct. At this moment, using the helmet as a weapon is actually a crime. What I am saying is that Rudolph is not without blame in this instance. So when you're Sheldon Richardson and you're going public saying that you believe that in your mind that the quarterback for the other team is culpable and that you're actually allowing your teammate, Miles Garrett, to possibly, possibly not get the sort of suspension or reputation that he now has, why is it that you're calling for Sheldon Richardson and calling him out? I disagree. You're calling it victim blaming. Victim blaming is what's going on in this society, and I understand it, but victim blaming is not what Richardson's doing. That's when someone is definitely a victim of, of an act <clears throat> that they do not want put upon them, and then they're blamed for inciting that act. This is something that took place on the field that Mason Rudolph had complete control over. The victim blaming you're talking about 
those people have no control over. They become the victim for circumstances having nothing to do with anything they've ever done, nor do they ever deserve to have done to them. So when you're gonna DM me or tweet at me, I only ask you to make sure you keep some semblance of perspective. I know that we want sports to bleed into society and society to bleed into sports, but at the end of the day, we're in entertainment. Sports is entertainment. It's not the real world. The real world is what you're living through every day. We try to provide that entertainment so you can smile a bit, argue a bit at the water cooler, and have the ability to get distracted. But I gave you your segment, Sheldon Richardson, to me, you're good. You should be backing up your teammate except you're gonna have to back him up for a long time to come because his suspension is not gonna be changed. It's not gonna be indefinite, but he's not gonna be back this season. He's gonna have to apply for reinstatement for next season, and I believe he will get reinstated in time for game one of next year. But for the rest of this season, Cleveland, you're without Garrett, no matter what happens in the city of New York. I got a chance to watch a great movie last night. For those of you who don't know, Clarence Clemens, the E Street Band, Bruce Springsteen, he's my favorite. And I've been lucky enough to go see Bruce Springsteen all over the world. And if you've never been to a Springsteen show, it doesn't matter if you're okay boomer or however old you are, go see him in show. He plays for three and a half hours minimum. He's 70 years old and he has more energy than you and I put together. And my guess is most of us add up to 70. But the best thing about him and his E Street Band was his saxophonist, who unfortunately died in 2011, named Clarence Clemens. There's a brand new documentary. Not, it's not about his life, so I don't want to say that. It's about his spiritual existence. Now, you're going to think that sounds a little corny to watch in a Netflix documentary, but I've got 90 minutes that says you're going to want to see it. Because you're going to want perspective on exactly what goes through the mind of someone who has to go all the way to China for some level level of anonymity. Now, I know what we say to the stars. We say to every celebrity, whether you're A-list or F-list, well, you want that. You're the one on TV and radio and you're on, you have a podcast or you're a movie star or you're a musician or you're an athlete. Therefore, you want to be famous. Therefore, you want to be recognized everywhere you go. Think of it this way. The people who make a living being recognized are doing it because that's what they're good at and they can't do anything else. If everyone could make the living that they make being recognized by not being recognized, 99% of the people would choose that, to have the same level of fame and income, but zero recognition. It would be like if they could wear a superhero's mask all the time. But Clarence Clemens was a very large man. And that's not me inciting any sort of debate right now. That was his nickname, the big man. And big he was. So he went to China for a journey that is documented in this documentary where no one knew who he was. A billion people in China did not know Clarence Clemens or Bruce Springsteen. And he loved it and it changed his life. I was lucky enough to meet Clarence Clemens and I try to tell some stories on this show about experiences I've had with interesting people. He sang the last national anthem that we ever had as a Florida Marlins organization back in 2011 before we became the Miami Marlins. And I got to spend about an hour and a half just with him in a conference room, and I got to see up close the pain that he is in, that he was always in because of various surgeries and hip and knee replacements, his inability to move, but his love of music. 
I was able to talk to him about being in the E Street Band, but that I loved him not because he was a saxophonist, but because he's Clarence Clemens and what he and his music have meant. For those who haven't had that opportunity, that's what this documentary is for. It's to give you the opportunity to be up close and personal to someone who if you've never heard of, learn about him, and if you have heard about him, you are going to smile. How many of you stayed awake for the Inter-Miami Expansion Draft? Raise your hand. Well, we're now in episode 26 of Nothing Personal, and I'm happy to say that we're about to dedicate the next bulk of time to soccer, football. I'm going to call it football. Will that be confusing to everyone when I say that we're going to talk about football, but I'm actually talking about soccer? But the people listening overseas will assume that I was always talking about soccer when I was talking about football. I find it all too very confusing. What wasn't confusing is that Inter Miami is a new team here in the Florida area, South Florida area. Now, you may have heard of the guy in charge. He's this guy. I think he's, uh, I think he's Posh's husband. Is it Posh Coca? I bet my producer's Googling right now because I don't think he's heard of the Spice Girls. David Beckham is married to Victoria Beckham, who was in the Spice Girls. Her nickname was Posh. And they've got this long-standing, incredibly who-knows-what marriage. But all I know is David Beckham is a very famous football player who came to Major League Soccer to play in Los Angeles toward the end of his career. And part of the deal was that he would get to own an MLS team at a very reduced price. And wouldn't you know it, he got ownership of the Inter-Miami Football Club at a very reduced price. And it took five or seven years to put a deal together. It's a deal that I worked on back when I was with the Marlins, thinking that this team would play at the site of the old Orange Bowl where Marlins Park is. It turns out that Inter-Miami thought they could get a deal done in Miami, and they haven't been able to. So they're building a ballpark right where I am, in Fort Lauderdale. And they're calling it Inter-Miami? It actually should be called Inter-Fort Lauderdale. Because people from Miami are not going to go. How do I know this? Because people in Fort Lauderdale didn't go to Miami to watch the Marlins. So people in Miami are certainly not going to go to Fort Lauderdale to watch the Inter-Miami Major League Soccer team. There was so little press about this in the Miami area that it got me thinking that, A, they need new PR people because this should have been front and center. This is an expansion team. Finally, MLS is in Miami. Oh, I forgot. The Miami Herald prefers to cover things that take place in Miami. The Fort Lauderdale Sun Sentinel is okay covering things in Fort Lauderdale and Miami, but yet the amount of coverage given to the Inter-Miami team doing its expansion draft for its first season in March in Fort Lauderdale was de minimis. The only other thing that's more de minimis right now is the state of their stadium. So when they couldn't get a new stadium built in Miami, they had to pivot and build something in Fort Lauderdale. Now, the Fort Lauderdale politicians were so quick to approve a deal for David Beckham because they got to bend it like Beckham. They got to rub his hand, get his autograph, and take his photo. Is anything worse than seeing a politician you voted for put his arm around a famous athlete or actor and smile when you know that they're just giving money and tax incentives to those people? I love it. But doesn't it just make you crazy? Well, it shouldn't, because that's the way of the world. So the Fort Lauderdale politicians put their arms around David Beckham, and they gave him the money to help build a stadium in Fort Lauderdale. But here's the rub. 
it's barely a stadium. It's a prefabricated piece of concrete with rows of seats that make it look like your high school bleachers. They're paving the parking lot as though I'm paving my driveway on a summer's day, living in the north. There's no paving in Florida. So why is it that it's such a temporary facility that's being built? Because Inter-Miami's Brain Trust, which is owned by a man named Jorge Mas, who's a Miami businessman, and David Beckham, who wanted to run a team in Miami and never come to Broward, he realized that they had no choice but to play in Broward and to open academies in and around Broward because they were the only county doing business with them. The problem is they didn't have the right money put together, and now their first impression with their fan base was this expansion draft. The second impression is going to be opening night with all the great fanfare and all the excitement. And then people are going to realize that A, the team stinks. And B, they're not even comfortable in their stadium. That it's not even permanent enough to have great concession stands or ease of ingress and egress. All of it is just supposed to be temporary because they're supposed to move back to Miami. Well, here's my not wait to see today. I think you're going to see a name change from Inter-Miami to Inter-Fort Lauderdale. Why would they change to Inter-Fort Lauderdale? Because when they need to get more money from Fort Lauderdale to make improvements to this stadium, to make it their permanent home, one of the deals will be the name of the club has to be changed. Do you think we're the Miami Marlins because we want it to be? No. We were told we had to change our name to the Miami Marlins so we could get money to build the ballpark. Trust me, if David Beckham is told we'll give you a couple hundred million dollars, but you have to change your name to Interfort Lauderdale, guess what your new football club is called in South Florida? Interfort Lauderdale. Well, if you want to see a good football match, you can go to Tottenham and see the Spurs play. We're talking Premier League on nothing personal. Yes, we are. I know Jeremy's out there listening. Jeremy, St. Louis, who we work with here at CBS Sports HQ, TR. They all can't believe that we're about to cover this, but this was such big news. How do you not cover it? This is the most trending story, I think, in the world right now. There was a firing of a manager by an owner who's fired 12 managers in 10 years or 10 managers in 12 years. No, I'm not talking about me. It just sounds like me. And the name is sort of sounds like me too. Daniel Levy, not the guy from Schitt's Creek. If you Google Daniel Levy, that's what you'll see. The other guy, the guy who's in charge of the Tottenham Board of Directors. Well, it turns out that he likes fiery managers as much as I do. And it turns out he's one less than I have. He's ringless. He's cupless. He had a great, a great manager of his football team. But after five years, Mauricio Patch, I call him Patch for short, People in the know for Premier League, like if you want to pretend that you're in the know when you're talking about something, you have to give nicknames to people and say them correctly. So I know that his name is Mauricio, but I call him Potch for short. This is a manager who was unable to win anything in Tottenham for the Spurs. However, he has huge accolades behind him. One of the best managers really in all of football, but his voice became a dull roar to the players. It sort of became a monotone, uh, he lost him. What's strange is that Daniel Levy, the, the uh, chairman of the board, made this firing today. This is not the off season. This is like a manager being fired at the all-star break. That's sort of normal, I guess. That can happen. 
But what's more interesting is that once the firing took place, it took all of five minutes to bring in their new manager. And it took 10 minutes to have a video on their Instagram site, which has over 6 million followers, of this new coach, Jose Mourinho. Do you know Jose Mourinho? Well, you should. One of the best of all time. Nothing but a winner. Why was he available, you ask? Because he is the Buck Showalter and the Joe Madden of managers. They come in, they win, and then they leave. That's what Mourinho was brought in to do by Levy. Remember, when the owner and the coach have a difference of philosophy, which is what happened and why there was a firing to begin with, the owner will always go to the opposite type of personality. That is the personality that Mourinho has that Poch did not, sort of this outgoing, talkative, loud personality. The problem with Poch is that he wanted a better team. See, Tottenham is part of what we call the Big Six. The Big Six are a group of Premier League teams. If you finish in the top four in the Premier League, you get to play in the Champions League Cup. That's what you want to do. You'd like to win the Premier League too, but you really need to be in the top four. And when you look at Tottenham's results, other than their appearance in the final of the Championship League last year, they have underperformed every year recently. Their social media following is the lowest of all of the big six. Their asset value is the lowest, and so is their revenue. So what do you do? You have to try to get better. The problem is that the owner, Dan Levy, does not have the type of money or net worth that some of the other owners in, in football, I almost said soccer, you caught me. That's a dollar coke, I said soccer, talking about the Premier League. It's football. That Levy does not have the type of money that some of the other owners have. Or if he does, he's not willing to spend it on buying players. See, that's how it works in the football over the pond. You actually buy players. You pay money to other owners to get their players. I want to make sure you're understanding and marinating exactly on what I'm saying. Picture me when I was running the Marlins where I had Giancarlo Stanton and I sold him to another team for $100 million and then I pocketed the $100 million. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, yes, that's exactly what I did. Okay, let me give a better example. Picture another guy on another team who's your owner of a team you like doing that and saying to yourself, would you really appreciate that? Well, I know you wouldn't. But the rules in the Premier League say that that's, and in soccer and football, that that's what you can do. And Tottenham was not getting, selling its players at the proper time. They weren't getting enough back to do what we call here in the U.S. as a rebuild. So what does an owner do? Of course, he fires the, the manager. I almost said coach. It's called the manager over there. Fired the manager. The question is for the Spurs, will it make a difference? And given the past history of the Spurs and of this owner, I can only tell you it is highly unlikely that it will make any difference at all. So the way to see is, will the Spurs become in the upper echelon of the six or will they stay on the bottom? And can Mourinho, who they're doing everything they can to get him out there, they have three more days left of their break before they start their season again. And the thought is that he's going to immediately start a winning culture there. Take the players who exist and make them better. We've tried that with managers. It worked one time with Jack McKeon, and the other 10 times we tried it, it didn't work. Now, I'm telling you that Mourinho knows something that I don't know, and so does Daniel Levy. He knows that bringing in this guy was desperate, desperate because it's a win-now move with reckless disregard toward the future. But by winning now, he guarantees himself a spot in the Champion League. 
guarantees himself increased revenue, increased following, and then increased asset value. That's the play here. Well, I hope that you were paying attention yesterday to my pick of the day. I'm going to explain it one more time for people who are just coming to the show, and I appreciate that you're coming. We're going to do a pick every day. The rules are this. When I lose my pick, you were supposed to have gone the other way. That's called fading. When I win the pick, you were supposed to have gone with me, and that's called piling on. So either way, you're winning every single day. The only question is, do you fade me or do you pile on me? Last night, I can only assume that you decided to pile. Why would you pile? Because yesterday was the easiest pick we've ever had. The Golden State Warriors were actually getting points from the Memphis Grizzlies. And the reason they were, as we said yesterday, is that for whatever reason, the odds makers thought that the Warriors were so bad, even without Curry, Durant, Thompson, Draymond, everybody, so bad that the Memphis Grizzlies at home should beat them? Not a chance. The Warriors crushed them. I didn't even have to watch the second half or the first half. I just knew they were going to be crushed. I didn't even watch. Not a play. I went to the score last night and I said, all right, we won. So how do I back it up? It's sort of easy on this. There's a game tonight between the Toronto Raptors and the Orlando Magic. And this is really in honor of Pat Williams and the Orlando Dreamers that we talked about earlier in the show about baseball coming to Orlando, which it's not. So I looked at that game because I really wanted to take the Magic. They're getting four points over Toronto, but I realized, how could it only be four points? The Magic, there's no way they can come close to the Raptors just because Kawhi Leonard isn't on the team anymore. Have you ever heard of a guy named Van Fleet? Well, if you have a play to make tonight, you better play Toronto because I promise you, you will not be sorry. Raptors lock of the day. Anyone out there watch Carmelo Anthony last night? Just out of curiosity. I think he wore double zero, Coca zero, double zero, can't remember. Some uniform number, wore double zero, thinking he's Robert Parrish, which he's not. Google it, the chief. My problem with Carmelo Anthony is that the Trailblazers signed him thinking that they had a chance to become a better team with him. Well, here's the history of Carmelo Anthony that I've debated in this office since Carmelo Anthony signed, and I will keep debating it till I'm blue in the face. Carmelo Anthony is not a winner. He is a losing player. He takes good teams and makes them bad. He takes bad teams and makes them worse. Don't tell me about the national championship with Syracuse. Don't tell me about his three gold medals. Talk to me about his National Basketball Association career. How is it possible that a player of his talent, who is acknowledged as a first ballot Hall of Famer, who can score at will, how is it that that player, who's also acknowledged off the court to be a very, very good guy, friends with everybody, how is it that you have a player like that who can't win at the NBA level? Because the NBA is the opposite of Major League Baseball. When you have a selfish player in Major League Baseball, what is he going to do? Run from right field and try to catch a ball, hit to center field? Is he going to go for a home run instead of a hit and run when there's a man on second? Is he going to try to go for a home run instead of a ground ball to the other side when you could score a man from third on a simple ground ball to the other side? That's selfish. Could that cost you a game? Maybe. Could it make a bad team worse? No. Could it make a great team good? No. It just stinks to watch a player do that. But in the NBA, a selfish player can take down an entire team. 
Carmelo Anthony plays selfish. He plays as though he's the type of player who wants the ball all the time. There was a team like that many years ago, Philadelphia 76ers. For all of you boomers out there, they had Julius Irving, Moses Malone, George McGinnis, Andrew Toney, Lloyd B. Free, who changed his name to All World B. Free. These were players who had one basketball and were never able to put it all together because that team needed five basketballs. Carmelo Anthony is exactly that type of player. And I don't care that Coca is putting up a graphic right now on the video of this show that says Anthony made the playoffs in 11 of 16 seasons. That is wholly irrelevant to my argument, Coca, because in the NBA, everybody makes the playoffs 11 of 16 seasons. That doesn't mean you're a winner. I want to know about jewelry. I want to know about finals appearances. I want to know about getting a max contract with the New York Knicks and then having the Knicks go nowhere with you. I want to know about joining a team called the Thunder and having that not work. And now joining a team called the Trailblazers. And in your first game, you're going to say they ran the offense through them. I I feel it. Hold on. I think I'm getting DMs right now. I am. I actually am. So, okay. Are you telling me that four for 14 is just normal? Well, that's what he went last night. And that's fine, right? For a score to go four for 14, 10 points. Normal, no, not good enough. If you're coming into a team and you want to be the man, you have to actually make a higher percentage of your shots. This is not like, and I'm saying the new NBA is such where if you're shooting 30%, it means you're a Hall of Famer. If you're Carmelo Anthony, you've got to shoot 50%. Now I'm hearing from the background noise here, no, four for 14 is fine. He's going to be fine on that team. Mark my words and wait to see. Not only will he not be fine, But I'm going to up the ante and tell you that Carmelo Anthony will not even be on the Trailblazers after the All-Star break. Now, why do I know that and why am I willing to make that a wait to see? Because I've been a part of teams who tried to sign players like this. I've been in the room where there's a discussion about the positives or the negatives of signing a player. I had it with Alex Rodriguez. The question was, why can't we sign him? Bring him in. He's past his prime, but he can be helpful. He's going for all these accolades, 650, 700 home runs. He's got, he's a Miami guy. He's perfect for your team. Do it. No, don't do it. Because when you bring him in, it's simply a distraction. The Trailblazers right now, the last thing they needed was a distraction. They're a team that's five games under 500 after 15 games. They're almost 20% done with the season. 16 games or 16.4 games, so game 16 or 17, that's 20% of their season. You're talking about a team who had a deep playoff run last year. So Carmelo Anthony, you bring him in to be sort of the mid-season changer, game changer, you're going to be disappointed like every other team has been. It's incredibly frustrating to me that I have to fight the Carmelo Anthony fight every single time, and I'm not going to do it. You know who the next player is going to have that happen to? It's going to happen to Russell Westbrook. 
Russell Westbrook was brought over to Houston. Now Houston is at the top of their division, and the Houston, the Harden is probably the best offensive player maybe I've ever seen in my life, and I've seen some of the best of all time. But Russell Westbrook will not be the answer in the one-two punch the way LeBron and Wade combined, LeBron, Wade, and Bosch then combined. Westbrook will not be able to do it in Houston, and they're going to go through yet another round in Houston of lack of success. The problem with the NBA right now as I watch and I evaluate these teams is everyone's copying the Miami Heat model. Everybody wants the big three. It's the new thing. Get a big three, win a title. LeBron was able to get to the finals on his own in the Eastern Conference, but to get out of the Western Conference, you need help. And the help comes in the form of these players basically dictating where they want to play. You think that Paul George is on the Clippers by accident? He dictated it. Russell Westbrook is not a Houston Rocket by accident. No, and Carmelo Anthony is not a Portland Trailblazer by accident. Wait for it. Wait. Yes, he is. Carmelo Anthony's not good enough to be a big three member. Carmelo Anthony didn't have a choice where he was going to play. He tried to get a job with every single team in the NBA, and he signed with the first team who would give him a uniform, not even a number, just a uniform with his name not spelled correctly, and then give him the ball. And the way I know that it's a disaster was his opening press conference when the first question asked was, are you okay going off the bench? He laughed. Why did he laugh? Because I hope you remember the last time he was on a team when he announced, I'm not going to come off the bench. I'm a starting player. Well, that's exactly the kind of guy I want on my team. The kind of guy who under every scenario is me first and team last. For Carmelo Anthony, don't you kid yourself. It's absolutely just business. It's nothing personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.